Stonehenge Into the Light Part 1 of 5 Stonehenge Hello, I'm Mark Zaretti and this is the audiobook version of this feature-length documentary. If you want to read along, you can download a freely available illustrated transcript from thewaybackgroup.org. This story starts at Stonehenge, Wiltshire, UK, on the 14th of November, 2022. Stonehenge Forget everything you may have heard. It is time for the truth. Spiritual gateway or something far more sinister. Was Stonehenge a spiritual portal to another dimension? Or was it something far more nefarious? Join me as we explore Stonehenge together. Here we are, Stonehenge, probably one of the most famous ancient artefacts shrouded in mystery and superstition. There's lots of theories about who built it and why. Stonehenge was a national meeting point four and a half thousand years ago. But these are based on digging in the ground and putting together archaeological evidence. Is there another source of information that can reveal who built it? How was it built? And for what purpose? These are just some of the questions that I'm going to answer in this documentary, drawing upon higher information that cannot be found in books and information that up till now has been hidden. I'm hopefully going to shed light on the mysterious druids who were involved with the building of Stonehenge. Who were they? What were they doing here? And importantly, I'm going to reveal Stonehenge's role and their role in a much bigger planetary picture, a picture which is literally out of this world. I'm Mark Zoretti, a spiritual teacher and author. I've got over 40 years of meditation experience, including advanced forms of meditation, and I've been lucky enough to experience levels of consciousness that are far beyond what we would normally consider the realm of the mind and the physical body. My pursuit to unravel the bigger picture has taken me in some surprising directions, and ultimately it's revealed itself to be the pursuit for the truth. Sometimes the information that I've gained on the inside has been at odds with what we generally understand from the mainstream education and sciences. Ultimately I've come to accept that perhaps we can't know everything via the sciences alone and maybe those things that are more mysterious need to be approached in a different way. I know how difficult it is to reconcile the tangible world with the more spiritual and mysterious world. Although I've been practicing meditation most of my life, I've also studied biology at university up to the level of a master's and worked in the biotech and pharmaceutical sectors as well. Despite my scientific background, I've had experiences that simply cannot be explained by science alone. So I can appreciate that what I'm about to share with you may challenge some people's concept of the world around them. And that's okay because there is never growth without challenging limits. In 2016, after over 10,000 hours of spiritual meditation, I discovered my ability to bring down higher knowledge. Since then, I've been producing podcasts, books, articles, and videos to share what I've learned on the inside with seekers of truth. Time and again, the information I've found on the inside has been proven to be true, sometimes years later. Such spiritual knowledge is higher than anything we can gain with our senses down here on the third dimension. And as a spiritual teacher and sharer of information, 
I've decided that I will always speak the truth. Understandably, speaking the truth, especially speaking about spiritual truth, has provoked quite a few people, particularly those that do not want you to know the truth. But I decided that it is better to stand for the truth than to fall for deception. And so I promise you, I'm going to speak openly, honestly, and share all that I have learned about Stonehenge and the Druids. I do not want you to believe me. Instead, use this information as a starting point for your own exploration. Perhaps you'll discover even more. The good thing about the truth is that eventually the truth will always come out. My focus is spiritual. And I've got to be honest, I've never really been interested in such worldly affairs as Stonehenge or the Great Pyramids or the Nazca Lines and things like this. But in the research for my latest book, I discovered a shocking connection between the Druids of Stonehenge and a group of beings on higher dimensions who have been involved in the affairs of Earth for a very long time. So to help explain what I've discovered, I've driven all the way here to Stonehenge to explore more and to share with you on this journey. Who were the Druids? How did they build Stonehenge? What did they build it for? And is there a connection between Stonehenge, the Nazca Lines and Avebury? Stonehenge is in fact much older than we believe or understand. The original Henge, which consists of the perimeter ditch and raised ground, was originally built approximately 9,700 BC. This included the Z and Y holes and the Aubrey holes, which had posts in them. Now what is clear even today is that these posts and the holes allowed those people at the time to predict exactly when the summer and winter solstices would be. In effect, the original Henge was a year clock so that they could accurately know to the day when certain alignments were going to happen. Knowing this leads to an understanding of the original purpose of the Henge. I say the original purpose because its purpose changed over time. What we need to ask ourselves is why would someone thousands of years ago need to know the exact day of the year? When we consider life on earth, on this physical plane, it's governed by basic needs, especially if we think back thousands of years to what it must have been like then. Warmth, shelter, security, food. When it comes to knowing what time of year it is, this really relates to agriculture. But early man would have been able to know when to sow seeds and when to reap the harvest. As the plants start to rise in spring, there would be clues. When the leaves start to fall off the trees in autumn, there is the clue that winter is coming. In other words, the reason for this year clock could not possibly have been for agriculture. It's far too accurate. They would have had enough clues from nature alone to determine when to grow the plants and when to harvest them. To understand why they needed this year clock, and remember we're talking before the stones even existed, think about modern times. What is it that necessitates us knowing exactly what time it is, what day of the week it is, what month, etc. If we did away with the calendar and clocks, we would still eat, we would still have shelter, we would still survive and thrive. The main reason we today have calendars and apps on our phones and things like this is to make sure that we're on time specifically for meetings with others or in the case of airports and transport to be there when something departs or when something arrives this is the reason why we have this quite staggering year clock 
It's to allow people back then to be present at important meetings. The group who first established this henge and built the year clock were asked to do so by their leader. And it is because of this leader that my attention was drawn to Stonehenge. The name of this leader became known to me several years ago. And the group who established this monument behind me, known as the Ruids, are named after him. So when I learnt of his name, it drew my attention to the Druids and that is why I'm here today. Not because I was interested in Stonehenge, but because I discovered who the leader is of the Druids. Now, if we were to go back 11,700 years, then the word Druid would be more accurately pronounced Druids in homage to the name of this leader. And the reason he asked them to build this was so that he could come down and visit with them twice a year to give them instructions and guidance to carry out his will on the third dimension. This leader who the Druids were named after is ancient. In fact, he's older than humanity as you know them and he's far older than what we recognise around us as this physical plane. Indeed, far older than Stonehenge and the Druids themselves. And despite being ancient, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, and he's not benevolent. This leader does not have humanity's best interests in mind. I have not named him in this documentary, and his name has never appeared in any of the ancient texts. There is hardly any reference to him, and you would not notice it if you saw it unless you knew. But his allies, who have helped him govern this are well known and some of their names may be familiar to you including Pan, Lilith and Satan. This should leave you in no doubt as to his malevolence. So I've moved away from Stonehenge. I've come down this country lane that runs almost to the entrance to Stonehenge and I've got a perfect view. I'm looking at it uh, dead ahead of me now. Outside of the perimeter of Stonehenge it's much easier to talk freely. There are so many tourists in there and guides and people milling about that it's very difficult to speak about these matters without kind of drawing attention and that's why I've, I've chosen to come away from Stonehenge a little bit and this way I can talk more freely so that I can speak the truth and tell you more about what I've learned. The leader, as the Druids knew him, they didn't know where he was from. They believed he was from the stars, but he was actually on a higher dimension of Earth. And he would descend down to them to guide them twice a year at the winter and summer solstice, which is why they needed the year clock. He did this using what seems like very advanced technology to us, but was actually quite ancient technology to him. And he also used black magic. And the reason is that this, this technology and the ability to shift between dimensions isn't natural, and the, the black magic was needed in order to provide power and fuel for this interdimensional tunnel. The druids would gather at the henge and where the slaughter stone is, so you have the heel stone and then the slaughter stone which kind of marks the gateway 
into the henge. The slaughter stone is so named because in ancient times, in the Stone Age, the, they noticed that there's a lot of iron ore in that particular stone and so it rusts and, and appears to have blood. But the truth is that in the vicinity of that stone, at the entrance to the henge, these druids would perform dark and black magic rituals, slaughtering animals, in order to generate a lot of ungodly and negative energy to correlate with the negative energy that the leader was using to create this tunnel. And so the leader would manifest this tunnel using his dark magic and the druids would contribute with the dark energy produced from the black magic that they were doing and the ritualistic slaughter of life. And the tunnel would open at the actual entrance by the slaughter stone. And the leader would walk out and he would appear to them physical. So though he came from higher dimensions where he was non-physical, the process of coming down the tunnel would allow him to manifest into physical form, albeit not for a long period of time, but long enough to meet with the druids. Now these meetings were obviously very important and were fundamentally about him giving the druids instructions on how they can manipulate and control life on the third dimension. They didn't all live locally and they came from different places to be here for this meeting and he would instruct them on things like which families to trust, which to kill, where to conquer, where to attack, what to do in terms of planning for the future, organisations to create, secret or otherwise. It was about him using the druids to consolidate his grip upon the third dimension and ultimately upon humanity, you and I. So this was the boss coming down to tell his management layer Right, this is what you need to do. And it was strategy and it was planning and it was all done in the shadows. Now he didn't always come himself. He wasn't just ruling the third dimension. This, is, this leader is actually the leader of much more than you or I could be aware of. And so sometimes he would send those closest to him in his stead. And one of those characters that he would send down was someone that goes by the name of Pan, although they have gone by many other names. And this is why Pan worship, which is the roots of paganism, arose amongst the Druids, because they recognised that this individual was very, very close to the leader, and this individual, as they have done on many occasions when they have come down to the third dimension on the other identities, beguiled them and led them to believe that he was so important the, the truth is that Pan, this individual, is actually the son of this leader. And that's why he was so trusted that he would come in his stead to rule over the kingdom of the third dimension plane, what we call Earth, what we call home. And as an aside, you may want to consider the word pandemonium or pandemon. Again, it lends to the fact that these beings or people were not coming down here for good reasons. They were not looking out for humanity. They came to control. So we're gonna take a walk and see if we can go further around to the other side. Okay, so the question is, who were these druids? They were actually a council of 12, representing the 12 different races that were aligned with the leader. It may be hard to comprehend, but the different animals represented in the constellations are actually stellar glyphs, 
glyphs made out of stars representing these different races, for example, serpents, bears, and lizards. And these 12 races that form the Council of Druids are amongst those represented by these stellar glyphs. These glyphs represent all the different races that have an interest in the third dimension plane. So have you ever wondered why it is that the same animal glyphs and symbols that are featured in the constellations are also repeated, for example, in the Nazca lines and in petroglyphs around the world. Most ancient races and indigenous tribes often have in their ancestry story folklore references to mythical animals or almost godlike animalistic beings that are either their founders or played an important role in the establishment of their tribes. For example, the serpents of Australia and the wolves of Rome. Perhaps it's easiest to understand these stelaglyphs or petroglyphs in terms of them being flags marking territory. So for example, wherever you find the serpent either built into rocks or in the Nazca lines or in the um, constellations in the night sky. This is marking that particular territory as this belongs to the serpents. Now three of the members of the Druid Council actually belong to a similar root race and these three races were all much more technologically advanced than the others in the group but since they were in an alliance they shared their technology and it was this technology that was used eventually in the formation of Stonehenge. These three races actually went on to form the major civilizations in Egypt and Mesopotamia and that's why there as well you see these megalithic ancient structures that quite frankly belie belief as to how they were constructed. But they use the same technology and the same techniques as was being refined here. So you may wonder why these three races were so technologically and scientifically advanced. And to answer that you actually have to go back to BC 16,000. At that time, one of these races came down to what we call Earth, the, the physical plane, and established five research sites, two of which are extremely well known. One of them, perhaps you've heard of, was Atlantis. The other one was High Brazil. Now there, they developed technology over thousands of years that by our standards is way advanced of anything that we know in the mainstream, was actually the leader of that race on higher dimensions who destroyed Atlantis and sunk it into the ocean. He did so because he was outraged that his researchers that he'd sent down from higher dimensions to the physical plane were sharing some of the knowledge of their technology with the humans that were there. And so he, in a fit of rage, wiped out Atlantis and killed off pretty much all of the humans there. Now he did this by using his power on higher dimensions to manifest what appeared to be a natural disaster on the physical plane. Now this isn't the only time this has ever happened and there are quite ancient disaster stories that are well documented about floods for example, where such apparently natural phenomena have actually been instigated from higher dimensions. A few of the researchers at that site were forewarned of what was gonna happen and managed to escape taking with them the knowledge of the technology that they had developed. So they actually escaped in what would best be described as flying craft. But these craft could not only fly, but they had the ability 
based on technology that they, that they had developed while on the physical plane, they had the technology to raise in vibration. And so they were able to not only escape the disaster on the third dimension, but return to their original dimension, which is a much higher dimension. And this is how this technology that was developed 16,000 BC was able to be used in the construction of Stonehenge because those races were now allied with the leader. One of the technologies they had learned and were now able to share was the creation of interdimensional tunnels. There's so much more that could be said about Atlantis and High Brazil and what happened. And in the book, I do go into a lot more detail, but the problem is that High Brazil and Atlantis are no longer present for us to study and to observe. And so they could be dismissed simply as fanciful imagination or fairy tale. But when you have something like Stonehenge that actually physically exists and dates back thousands of years, then what you have is irrefutable proof of something. And what Stonehenge really represents is a crossover point between the reality that we understand down here as the third dimension and the physical plane and a vaster reality that's happening even now on higher dimensions. And this is a pinch point, if you like, where at some point, at least in the past, the two have crossed. Even if the concept and idea of life and existence on higher dimensions that are beyond most people's awareness is too hard to swallow, is too big a leap for, for people. These giant stones that weigh over 25 tonnes and the similarly the Great Pyramids of Giza and the stone walls of interlocking perfectly engineered stones at Sacsayhuaman in Peru all point to some greater mystery. The mainstream theories about how these things were crafted and built seem woefully inadequate. So Stonehenge, like other ancient relics, point to the fact that there are perhaps mysteries that are beyond the explanation of the mundane and the everyday, that perhaps the mainstream is not able to answer. And if nothing, just the sheer size and the presence of such a, a phenomenon on the planet inspires some kind of deeper inquiry into what is going on. And so while it is easy to dismiss Atlantis and High Brazil, we cannot dismiss Stonehenge because it is there, present and tangible, leaving the door open to a deeper inquiry. So going back to a time when the Henge was first created before the big stones were put in, this whole land would have been surrounded by lush woodlands and the small stakes and smaller standing stones would not have been visible. In fact, it would all have been obscured. So when I first arrived a couple of days ago at the Stonehenge campsite, I wanted to experience what it might have been like for people thousands of years ago to come across this giant construction. And so I walked from the campsite for several hours through fields and across footpaths and bridleways. And it was only when I was maybe a mile away, just to the south, that I could actually see it. And it was small. And furthermore, because the path undulated up and down, when I carried on, it disappeared from view again. And if you take into account the trees that would have been there, what it, it, it suggests is that this structure was not built as a gathering place, a beacon for humanity to gather in celebration. Anyone capable of stacking stones like that could have easily have created something much higher than the surrounding trees. They could have chosen 
a location that was easier to see. They could have lit a fire on top, but there's no evidence of any of that. So clearly this was something built for a purpose that was not for the masses. Stonehenge was for its druid keepers and its leader, and it was a secret site. For the next 700 years, the leader and the council on the third dimension would meet twice a year at the solstices. He would give them instruction and they would follow. Obviously those down here would not live as long as him. And so they would pass on the title to the next one in their bloodline, if he approved. And so their secret ways, their teachings, their black magic and their druid law was passed on down the bloodlines and the tradition of the druids and the purpose of meeting with the leader was preserved. Now this went on for 700 years and that may seem like a long time but to the leader it is nothing. And so for 700 years he would come down and rule over this council and they in turn would rule over the lands that they controlled. There was so much more I wished to share with you, but heavy rain came down forcing me to stop. I was however able to capture this moody sunset time-lapse since my GoPro is waterproof. But with the tight schedule and even more heavy rain predicted for the following day, it seemed our window for filming at Stonehenge was over. Thank you for listening to this documentary. If you'd like to discover more, please visit thewaybackgroup.org.